Okay, Michael, question for you. What do these companies have in common? Airbnb, Coinbase, DoorDash, Dropbox, Instacart, Stripe? Well, they're all tech companies. They're all really successful tech companies. Definitely successful tech companies. All those companies I mentioned have a valuation in the tens of billions of dollars each. Actually, I think Airbnb is well over $100 billion. So yes, giant tech behemoths for sure. But I was thinking about something more specific. Okay. Um... I need another hint. <laughs> All right. What well, has to do with how each of these companies actually got started? Oh. Well, they're, they're all Y Combinator companies, aren't they? They are, exactly. And the list of successful Y Combinator companies certainly isn't limited to these. Uh, there are plenty more that have gone on to do very big things. Companies like Reddit, Twitch, Dropbox, OpenSea. Companies that we could very well profile here on Rocketship, and, and some of them maybe we have. Uh, but for today's episode, I thought we could profile the organization that helped make all of those companies possible in the first place and help tell the story of Y Combinator. All right, I'm definitely into that. So let's do it. The story of Y Combinator right after we roll this intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play. Rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. 
This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. All right, so the story of Y Combinator, where do we start? Well, we probably have to get into our DeLoreans and go back in time, uh, back almost 20 years ago, uh, maybe not quite, uh, all the way back to 2005. That's when Paul Graham and Jessica Livingston, they were walking home from dinner in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Jessica actually had a marketing job in investment banking, but didn't like where she was at. So Paul and Jessica, they started talking about her options. One of those options was working as a VP of marketing at a local venture capital company. In fact, Jessica applied for the executive marketing role and was even considered, although that VC was taking a long time deciding whether they would offer Jessica the role. Yeah, typical VCs making you wait, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Anyway, in an effort to sort of help talk through the process with Jessica. Paul was sharing all the things he believed venture capital as an industry should change about the way the business was done. Things like how investors should be making more but smaller investments, how they should be funding hackers instead of suits, and they should be willing to fund younger founders. So here's Paul Graham sharing a little bit about that point in time in the discussion with Jason Kalkanis at the 2014 launch festival. The reason it started was, um uh, a combination of me feeling guilty that I hadn't gotten around to doing any angel investing yet, um, and also that Jessica was talking to this VC fund about becoming their VP of marketing. And the VCs were taking so long to make up their minds. I said, fuck them, we'll just start our own thing, right? So if that VC fund in Boston had not been so typically slow moving, Y Combinator would never have existed. So a big thank you goes out to that slow-moving VC firm. Without you, we probably wouldn't have Y Combinator. Anyway, Paul and Jessica were really the catalyst at the start. Uh, Paul would put up the first $100,000 in capital. Jessica would quit her job and focus on the program full-time. And they would together recruit Robert Tappan Morris and Trevor Blackwell to join in, each of them pitching in $50,000 to essentially create the very first Y Combinator fund. Y Combinator's first batch of startups was just eight companies in the Boston, Cambridge area. And we can go back to Paul Graham for how that first batch was formed. When Y Combinator first started, it was a summer program for undergraduates. That was the, that was the idea. And so compared to a summer job, where you have to like go work in a cubicle and like maybe get up earlier than you would like to and work on not what you would want with people you don't want to work with, right? Compared to a regular summer job, it was a great deal. You just go to Cambridge, work on whatever you want with whoever you want, and we like, you know, pay you money and give you, uh, give you dinner once a week. Um, so we got lots of applications. We got more than we expected, hundreds of applications. And in that first batch were Sam Altman, 
who started Looped. Reddit was in that first batch. Kiko, which was started by the founders who went on to start Justin.tv, a.k.a. Twitch, all in that first batch. Reddit. The founders who would go on to start Twitch, there were some major players even in that very first batch of the eight Cambridge Seed companies. Cambridge Seed? Oh, yeah. Well, that was the original name of Y Combinator, but it was very short-lived. In fact, it became Y Combinator before the program even officially kicked off. All right. Well, in those early days, uh, the value proposition was pretty simple. Provide a little bit of capital. It was based on... What A lot of what we did was based on the angel funding we got for our startup, ViaWeb. So we had this guy um, who was the husband of my painting teacher at Harvard, and he was a lawyer. He gave us $10,000 and got us incorporated and like set up as a company and taught us a little bit about business. Um, He didn't know much about startups specifically, but he sort of knew about business. Like, I knew nothing about business. Um, Like, nothing. And he was on our board and sort of saved us from stepping in a bunch of dog poops along the way. A bunch of landmines, actually, would be more accurate. Um, And so I remembered thinking later, boy, what a good deal for Julian. He got 10% of this company for $10,000. And then I realized, wait a minute, without him, we would never have made it. So it was a good deal for us, too. And when you, like, I thought, wow, that's a good deal for both. So um, 10% seemed a bit much. Yeah. So we didn't ask for 10%. I think originally we used to ask for 6%. And then along, along the way it became 7 um, And the reason we invested the amount of money we did is because I asked Robert, who is a professor at MIT, how much MIT grad students got as stipends for the summer. And it was $2,000 a month. So that's what we did, $6,000 per founder for the summer. Because we knew you could live on that in Cambridge. So each founder gets around $6,000 for the summer, and Y Combinator gets 7% of the company. At least, that was the original structure. And in exchange, companies get what Paul Graham got from Julian Webb when he had his startup via Webb mentorship, guidance, access to a network. There would be dinners for founders every Tuesday and informal speaker series where founders could learn from those who had been there and done it before when it comes to launching a startup technology company. That was all part of the original value prop of Y Combinator. Yeah, and at that time, Y Combinator, they weren't really trying to compete with the traditional venture capital model or even other accelerators. I mean, there really were no other accelerators at that time. Its target wasn't really even very early stage startup companies. Its target was undergraduates, smart undergraduates who may have some sort of idea to build a startup. The hope was that they would choose Y Combinator as a place to try to bring their idea to life rather than, you know, go take some summer job. Here's Sam Altman, probably a familiar name if you already know some of the more recent happenings at Y Combinator. We'll come back to Sam again, but first, here's Sam sharing his experience as one of the founders who was part of that very first batch. This is from an incubated series on YouTube from the team at TechCrunch. I was in the first Y Combinator batch back in the summer of 2005. I think it was called the Summer Founders Program then. Um, There were eight startups, and we were one of them. I knew how to write code. I really didn't know anything at all about business or how to start a startup or raise money or anything like that. And it was this incredible program for someone like me at the time. I could tell, like, this is not, this is not just sort of your average investment firm. Something, something really cool is happening, and it's, you know, it's become sort of like this central hub of the startup world. We already mentioned how that early batch included companies like Reddit and the early founding of the team 
Twitch. So I'm not even going to ask the question of whether YC companies succeeded from the start. But what happened right after that summer batch concluded and how did Y Combinator get to where it's at today, where it's, as Sam says, the central hub of the startup world? More on that after a quick break. Before the break, we learned about the Accelerator program that Paul Graham and Jessica Livingston started after coming up with the idea while on an evening walk one night in Cambridge. In the summer of 2005, Y Combinator completed its first program with eight different startups led by undergraduate students who had early seedlings of an idea and not much else. The very next summer, Y Combinator would announce its continuation of its program and they'd recruit an entire new batch of startups. This time, it would move all the way across the country to the area of California known as Silicon Valley. Graham and Livingston knew that they were onto something and they didn't want some other group to create the Y Combinator of Silicon Valley. They wanted to create the Y Combinator of Silicon Valley. So <laughs> they convinced Trevor to let them have some space in a building that he had in Mountain View. And it became official. Y Combinator would have one branch in Cambridge and another in Mountain View with programs taking place each summer and winter. Then, on Halloween of 2006, a big milestone happened. Reddit, one of the companies from Y Combinator's very first batch, it was acquired by Condé Nast. In just 16 months after founders Alexis Ohanian and Steve Huffman founded the company, he would later find out that the acquisition price was $10 million. By today's standard, an acquisition like that may not even make the news. But Reddit, it had only raised 100000 And for Y Combinator, that was a sign that the program they built, it was working. Y Combinator would continue to fund startups in both Cambridge and Silicon Valley over the next two years and would fund more companies that would go on to be acquired. But one company that was a part of that summer of 2007 batch, it would go on to do something much, much bigger. That company? Dropbox. Fast forwarding a bit, Dropbox would actually go on to be Y Combinator's first company to ever go public. But Back in 2007, founder and CEO, Drew Houston, he didn't feel like he had all the answers he needed to build and scale a company like Dropbox. He had already applied to YC in the past. He failed to get in, but this time around, Dropbox was accepted. Here's Drew Houston speaking with Sarah Lacey at a Pando Daily event in the past, talking about how crucial Y Combinator was for Dropbox. It, it was more that it was just kind of this like, you know, treasure map of like, here's all the stuff you have no where you just have no context and like sure listening to a two-hour talk from like a patent lawyer doesn't make you like a patent lawyer but you can at least know like okay there's a stuff around patents that's like kind of important and like here's the kind of things I'm going to need to know and like you know hearing these stories from these entrepreneurs who have been through this you sort of get a little bit clearer idea of what the whole process is like mm -hmm. and so the sort of demystifying of this of the whole process was really the most valuable thing then there were other things that were just like the emotional support or just sort of the esprit de corps from having 20 other companies going through the exact same thing. And every week everybody shows up and, um, and it's just building, 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 and you're all rooting each other on. Um, so it, it, it wasn't any one thing. Um, and I, probably the most sort of striking thing was Paul's ability to distill down these very kind of techie or obscure or arcane concepts into things that like a normal person can understand. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was just uncanny 
how he could do that. Dropbox certainly wasn't the only Y Combinator company that revealed levels of massive success, and we'll certainly get into more of them, but it was one of the first companies for Y Combinator that sort of became a flagship company to point to what kind of scale is possible for companies that go through the program. Yeah, I do want to introduce one more company here that was founded around this time. Uh, In 2008, Gary Tan had applied to Y Combinator, and Here's his story right from his YouTube vlog. So picture this, it was 2008 and I had just left Palantir actually. I took an interaction design job and could actually sort of moonlight on the side. I had a lot of time to think about design and product and engineering and I had just decided to start a company and Y Combinator was where we wanted to go. And startup school was happening before applications were due. So of course we had to show up. Aside from starting a company, I was thinking maybe I actually want to be an editorial photographer. In fact, I had already started doing some editorial shoots for a local hip-hop magazine in East Palo Alto. I was excited just because maybe I could help. So I got here early to Stanford campus. I brought all my camera equipment and I sat in the front row and I made sure to take really great photos of every single speaker. Jeff Bezos, Michael Arrington, Paul and Jessica, Mark Andreessen. It was really a a star-studded event. Even DHH, the creator of Rails, was there. That night, I took all the photos and edited them, and I posted them on our blog platform, and I posted it on Hacker News, and it got voted up. And basically, that's where Paul and Jessica saw it. And that's what opened up Y Combinator for me. Here's me in 2009 telling the story at the next startup school. Last year, 2008, was a lot different for you. This year, you yourself are a founder. Tell me about that. Right after startup school last year, we applied, we got in, um, got in the summer 2008 batch, launched Raise an Angel Round. Now we do about a million and a half uniques in the United States on posturist.com. And I can't say that, you know, it would have happened without it. From photographing founders to being in the program to growing his startup, Posturist, we're going to come back to Gary Tan later, but he's actually going to become another big part of the Y Combinator story. Yes, but let's not fast forward to today just yet. Let's stick back to the time where Gary Tan was just a YC founder. Right at this time, Y Combinator was growing its batches in both Cambridge and Silicon Valley, but they realized that its success didn't really necessitate having both locations. By this point, it wasn't just an accelerator. It was the accelerator to be in. I mean, if a tech company wanted to get into Y Combinator, it was going to join. Whether the location was Cambridge or Silicon Valley or, I don't know, Des Moines, Iowa, it wouldn't matter. You go when you get in. It's true. So in 2009, Y Combinator consolidated and focused its in-person experience on the Bay Area, the place that already had the most startup density than any other place in the US. And something else happened that year too. Sequoia Capital, they would go on to commit $2 million to Y Combinator, which would allow it to invest in even more companies every year. By this point, YC had already expanded from investing in those initial eight companies that it did back in 2005 to now investing in 40 companies every year. With this new funding, it could increase that number by 50%. It would now be able to invest in 60 companies every year. In 2010, Sequoia would increase that investment fourfold, committing another $8 million. Also that year, Y Combinator would see another one of its companies go through an acquisition. By this point, several had acquisitions, but this one of the Y Combinator company Heroku, it was different. It was acquired for over 200 million, and it was definitely the first big exit for a Y Combinator company. Yeah, and other investors were definitely starting to take notice. 
In 2011, investor Yuri Milner, an Israeli-Russian entrepreneur and investor, he made a pretty bold announcement, and in a way, a bet. He, along with Ron Conway and SV Angel, they announced that they would set aside millions of dollars to invest in every Y Combinator company in that year's batch. Every company would have a $150,000 investment offer on very good terms available to them. They didn't have to accept the money. This wasn't an official part of the Y Combinator program, but it was an offer that all YC companies would get. Here's Jason Kalkanis and Tony Conrad discussing the blanket offer on an episode of This Week in Startups back in 2011. That's a lot of risk to take. It's a six-month-old company, six-week-old company. I don't know how old the company is. Yeah, but what he's identified, what we all know, this is a hits-driven business. Ah. All he needs is one hit? I don't know. Depends on how much six money million he put. he's putting. Six say. million dollars out. Right. Let's sit, let's unpack that. Let's mm. say he had one percent of Google. Hello. Hello. One percent of Facebook. Billion dollars. Pretty much guaranteed. Two yeah. billion in the Google case. One percent Twitter. One percent of WordPress. Four, uh, Forty million. Uh, Four million. It's like. Right. He breaks even. Yeah. Or makes a ton. There you so go. So basically, it's not spray and pray. If we to recap, because it's all Paul Graham filtered. There is some logic to it because if you spread across 43 companies and you already saw Heroku come out uh -huh. at 200 million, if you had 1% of that, that's 2 million right there. And let's be honest, they're not going to price at 15. It's more likely they're going to price at 8, mm -hmm. which means he's really going to get 2% or something. So 2%, that's $4 million right there. Make, let's call it three. Let's, he would call have been halfway three. there. Again, a very bold move, and it certainly got people in the startup world talking. Was this a sign of a bubble, or was this a strategy that could actually work? Nevertheless, it was certainly a sign that Y Combinator's position as a dominant tech influencer was strong, and it just continued to strengthen. In 2012, Paul Graham realized that things were big, maybe even too big. Here's Paul talking with Jason Calacanis again about the summer of 2012. They, they only do that because the M&A people at potential acquirers are stupid enough to not pick them off early. Right. Right? Yeah. Speed. We all need our applications to be fast and reliable. I'm busy. I'm the CEO of the company. I want to know what's going on with the servers because I know through watching Marissa and Larry Page at Google just absolutely crush it by having the fastest services in the world and the most stable services, they built a lot of trust with their audience. Well, New Relic is the tool that you need as CEO or CTO to, to monitor the performance of your applications. And let me tell you a little story. We were launching a little startup named Inside.com a month ago, and we had a tremendous technical difficulty. Something was going wrong on our servers. So I emailed like at 9 o'clock at night, hey, listen, we have a lot of users coming in. Tens of thousands of people are rushing the front door, and our servers are crashing. We can't figure out why. According to Paul Graham, the summer of 2012 batch of Y Combinator startups, it really sucked. <laughs> Not in terms of talent, though. I mean, that summer's batch had companies like Coinbase, Instacart, Zapier, amazingly successful companies. But the organization of that batch, especially since it now had to cover over 80 companies, fact was everything had grown and it grew too messy. YC would scale back the number of startups it invested in at least the next couple of years and it would reorganize the way it managed the startups. And in doing that, it allowed Y Combinator to ramp things back up in each class afterwards. But by 2014, Paul Graham realized that because things were continuing to grow, it was time for a change. It was time for Paul to pass the torch, so to speak. Uh, it was time for somebody else to run Y Combinator. And the new leader, it was Sam Altman. 
that founder that we heard from earlier who took part in that very first batch of companies back in 2005. Here's Paul Graham on why this transition to Sam was important. One of the most helpful um, individuals to founders in the last decade. He has helped over 600 startups launch through Y Combinator, and he's been a tireless supporter of entrepreneurs. And we had a really great, heartfelt, honest discussion for almost an hour at the launch festival. And he put it out there. He was super honest about stuff, very blunt, but also very joyful. I mean, the guy is a real mensch. He's a tremendous entrepreneur and a tremendous, you know, support of, uh, of entrepreneurs, a great writer too, which I really respect. If you can really crystallize your thoughts as a writer, I think that's something special in the world. It was now Sam's turn to run this giant thing. More on what happened once Sam took the helm and where White Combinator stands today after the break. Before the break, we learned about the start of Y Combinator from its humbling beginnings back in Cambridge, Massachusetts with just eight companies, all the way to 2014, where it had launched hundreds and hundreds of startups by that point, dozens every year, with some of them already reaching massive scale, and in some cases, massive exits. It was 2014 when Sam Altman, a founder at the very first batch of Y Combinator startups, took over as president, as Paul Graham passed the torch on, so to speak. Now, by this point, Y Combinator was now giving $120,000 to every startup in exchange for 7% of the companies that it funded. But more than the initial capital and the mentorship that it would receive from its investor network, Y Combinator companies now had something that those early companies back in, say, 2005 never had. They had access to the Y Combinator founder network. Now nearly 10 years old, this network was quite strong. There were hundreds of founders with experiences of building, scaling, and in some cases now, exiting startups that were part of Y Combinator. Under the leadership of Sam Altman, Y Combinator continued to grow and also introduced new programs, programs like the YC Fellowship Program, which was aimed at companies that were at an even earlier stage than most of the Y Combinator companies, companies that they may not even be companies. They they may just be people with a loose idea, maybe a prototype. Yeah, and there, there was also YC Research, a program where researchers were paid as full-time employees. And there were projects that came out of YC Research, like OpenAI, an artificial intelligence research laboratory that was co-founded by both Altman and Elon Musk. In 2016, YC Research announced a study that would be centered around basic income. Here's Sam Altman talking a bit more about YC Research um, that was started by Y Combinator. This is from Marco Mascoro's YouTube channel. Uh, you know, our goal has always been to make the future as good as possible for everyone. As much innovation as we can, as widely distributed as we can. And I do think that startups are a good way to do this for a lot of problems. Um, but they're not the answer to everything. And our goal has never been like, start more startup. It's been do this other thing. And there are, there are some things, uh, either because there's no way that they should make money or because we just don't think they should be owned by a single company trying to maximize profits, that is work we want to support that fits our mission. Um, but as a bad fit for a startup. And after this came up, you know, we kind of tried this in a few different ways. We started funding nonprofits. Um, we started just like making grants to individual researchers. And then we realized there was an opportunity to do something more and that there were, there were these things that um, honestly governments are supposed to be doing, um, but we just don't do anymore. Uh, and one of the remarkable things is that it turns out you can do a lot of things at small scale um, with, a, you know, like a sort of private levels of capital and time um, that are the kinds of things governments used to do. That's one big advantage of technology. 
And so we thought we'd start, you know, we'd try that. Our plan was to do one project per year. We have gone a little faster than that. Um, but I think there are, this will get more important to us over time, not less. I think there are these, you know, we are at an unusual moment in history in terms of how much things are going to shift in a relatively short period of time. And trying to figure out ahead of time, you know, what we're going to do about that, basic income, AI, a lot of other questions, rather than how we normally make decisions, policy decisions, which is wait until everything breaks and then make a decision in a crisis. Um, I think this is, you know, data is a good way of doing things. I think starting projects uh, ahead of time is a good way of doing things. So projects that are part of YC Research exist because they have the potential to make a big impact in our world. But shouldn't be a part of one individual private company. At least that's the view that YC had. Yes, and this is just one program of many that Y Combinator brought forward while Altman was leading YC. Some of those other ones included Startup School, the Series A program, and the YC Growth program, uh, also work at a startup, and even YC China. Some of these programs had some hiccups. For instance, YC China was pretty short-lived. It only lasted about a year or so. Yes, that's true. And, and Startup School, that was a program that was launched in 2017. Uh, and it was a 10-week program of one-on-one -on -one mentorship from past YC startup founders, virtual office hours with a group of fellow students, and even an online lecture series. Uh, it was all designed to help people learn what it takes to build their startup companies. Nearly 3,000 companies were accepted into that first iteration of the program. In 2018, though, there were 15,000 companies that had applied to take part, and all 15,000 were accidentally accepted. <laughs> oh, whoops. Yeah. They even had to send out an email that said, the acceptance email was sent to you even though we are unfortunately not able to include you in the startup school advisor track. That probably wasn't a good day for the people responsible for letting that acceptance email go out. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. But, you know, Y Combinator, they decided to just accept all 15,000 companies into the program anyway. And actually now anybody can take part in that program. Uh, it's free. It's it's turned out to be a great resource. In fact, nearly half of the companies admitted into the last Y Combinator batch, they had gone through YC startup school in the past. So maybe that bug is actually a feature? It, it could be. It could be like a happy accident, so to speak, right? <laughs> Anyway, another big thing happened for YC in 2018. Another one of its companies had an exit. This time, it was an exit of all exits. It announced that Dropbox had filed for an IPO. Here's Alex Barinka and Vonnie Quinn discussing the Dropbox IPO here on this Bloomberg Markets segment. Sources have told you that the IPO is filed. It is filed, and one person told me that we expect this listing to happen in the first half of this year. So Dropbox is this $10 billion private uh, file-sharing company. It's one of this class of unicorns that we've been watching who has been waiting for quite a while to list. Um, we will be watching this closely. It comes in the ranks of Spotify, another deal that's looking to list this year. Um, and also, I know that the uh, that Wall Street and Silicon Valley will both be watching this deal very closely because of how Snap performed since it listed in 2017. That was kind of a debacleless IPO uh, after it listed in March. 
The market had been waiting for this one, and I'm sure that Y Combinator had been waiting for this one. It's first big IPO. It happened at the end of 2018, and it really was a landmark moment, not for just Dropbox, but all of Y Combinator. Now, in 2019, Sam Altman actually stepped out of his role as leader of YC to focus on OpenAI, that first YC research project that he co-founded with Musk. That Jeff Ralston took over at that time. And Jeff had already been a partner at YC for eight years. So he was definitely a familiar face with the organization, had a lot of gravitas with the YC community. But the next two years would be pretty challenging for YC as it transitioned throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. In spring of 2020, it had moved its demo day virtual. This is typically a day when all of its YC companies would pitch to investors, many of them leaving with sometimes several millions of dollars in funding offers. But would they get the same result going all online? And you know, many of those companies, they ended up just fine. You know, some were able to raise that capital that they needed virtually. But the next batch of YC companies in the summer of 2020, they had to take part in the entire program remotely. For most of these YC companies, that was a huge letdown. I mean, taking part in Y Combinator wasn't just about the money, it was about the overall experience. It was about accessing the network and being in Silicon Valley to actually leverage it. You know, you might get to sit next to Mark Zuckerberg or Brian Chesky, you know, when they'd come into the office and share their wisdom in the off-the-record private sessions that happened at Y Combinator. I mean, it's hard to replicate those kind of experiences over Zoom. Y Combinator would actually remain virtual, so to speak, until just this summer. But even though 2020 presented so many challenges for Y Combinator's program and really the entire world in some respects, it was actually its best year ever. Yeah, that's true, at least in terms of results. The very end of 2020, two Y Combinator companies, Airbnb and DoorDash, they both went public. That actually doubled the number of public companies that Y Combinator had in its portfolio as Dropbox and PagerDuty were the first two. It was also a great year in terms of YC companies being acquired. Machine Zone was acquired for 500 million. But then Segment, a company from the summer batch of 2011, was acquired for 3.2 billion the biggest YC acquisition at that time. But if 2020 was a great year, 2021 was an amazing year. Uh, prior to 2021, again, there had been four YC companies to go public. But in 2021 alone, it saw 10 more IPOs, including Coinbase, Amplitude, and many others. If those numbers sound amazing, well, it's because they are. But we should probably expect those numbers to increase by several multiples in, say, 2031. Keep in mind, many of these companies that reach IPO stage at this point, they were founded in 2011, 2012. Even some as recent as 2018, at those times, Y Combinator was funding anywhere from 150 to 300 companies each year. But in 2021, it funded 750 companies through its batch program. That's nearly 100 times more than what it funded in its very first year, and more than five times what it funded in, say, 2011, when one of its 2021 IPO companies was actually founded. Today, 150 YC companies are valued at 150 million or more, and 60 companies are valued at a billion or more. YC's position as an influencer in the tech is as strong today, really, as it's ever been. And now that we're in 2022, Y Combinator continues to evolve. It actually just hired a new leader to take over as president. And it's somebody that you heard from earlier in this episode. Just last week, Gary Tan was named CEO of Y Combinator. Here's Jason Calacanis and Molly Wood on This Week in Startups to break down the news of Tan stepping back in at YC. A new CEO of YC, friend of this pod, Gary Tan. We'll certainly have him on. Uh, 
But Y Combinator has named, I guess, their fourth president, Gary Tan. Uh, fill us in on what's going on here. Yeah, this is a big deal. Um, it's a big deal partly because, yes, y- YC, of course, incredibly influential. And, uh, you know, I've seen some tweets to the effect that, like, any drift that people had maybe been sensing with YC, there have been some complaints. There always are complaints over the years that it's like the batches are too big or this or that or whatever. But people seem very excited that Gary Tan is going to reinvigorate it in as much as it even needs it. But also it's a big deal because he is stepping away from the VC fund that he co-founded. So Gary Tan leaves Initialized Capital, the VC fund that he founded with Alexis Ohanian, the co-founder of Reddit, and a member of the very first class of YC. And now Tan will be the leader in charge at Y Combinator. That's a huge deal for sure. Somebody that the YC community likes quite a great deal from what I understand. And Tan is tasked with quite a big job. YC is already a rocket ship. It already has massive influence within tech startups and it continues to scale up. And you just have to wonder where all of this growth and scaling will eventually lead, right? Well, We're going to have to see because it's a journey that is certainly continuing for the foreseeable future. Yeah, definitely a story that we're going to need to check back in on at some point, I think. Uh, That story is not over, not even close to being over. But but for now, for this episode, it is going to wrap things up for today. So we'll be back next week. But until then, for Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. This episode was mixed and mastered by Court Deans. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.